0: All right, live. How's it going tonight? All right. Going okay? Well, hey, uh, before I get started, I, I have to say, today is a very incredible special day. In fact, it's a really special day in history. Dylan Adams was born on this day, all right? it's Dylan's birthday today? All right, where's Dylan? I can't see very much. He's over here, okay, with his lovely wife. So when you see him, all right, not now, all right, after the service, make sure you give him a big smack. On the hand, okay. What were you thinking of was to say? Like smack on the foot and the ankle. All right, give him a big high five. Wish him a happy birthday. Okay, that's this is a very important day. Uh, so I want to see because I didn't, did not see, but I heard this was gonna happen. Who said that they loved dogs more earlier? Yes, I knew I loved live. Okay, that's awesome. So Meredith and I decided that we we, we love dogs. Okay, but. We love dogs enough where we we're like, you know, we're never gonna have to get a dog. But then Valentine's Day came up, and I got married to the puppy. All right, I did it. I got married to the puppy. There, she, there she is with uh, Rocky, our new little dog. All right, crazy. We gave in because we're such big dog lovers. There we are, Rocky. We've had him the last little bit, couple days. And uh, so, Meredith's very happy, I'm still unsure about it. We're sh- still trying to train him how to pee and poop, all right. In fact, he's kind of timid. He was super scared when we brought him home, all right. He's this giant fluff ball, okay. He's a uh, great Pyrenees, and uh, anyways, we got him some from uh, — tri- there he is, all right. That's his first few moments home, and he was like shaking, and his heart's pulsating, and he's just freaking out when we brought him home. And so, we're like, what do we do? Like. I don't know, what to, I've never had a dog like this before, and so he's just freaking out. And finally, um, you know, we're trying to get him to come, and he won't, and then he starts whining like, I don't know what to do. And the last few days, we've been trying to figure it out, and like he's been figuring out his new home and like atmosphere and getting used to it, and little by little, he's getting more used to it. And even still though, like he'll have to go to the bathroom, so he'll be whining, and be like okay, come on, like come to the bathroom, but he won't move. Like, one movie's like, no, I'm just staying right here. And so you actually have to go and pick, pick him up and then carry him out. And then he's whining, like, don't pick me up. But then you bring him outside and he acts like he's the happiest dog ever, okay? Because he loves grass. He's playing around in the grass in a little pod. But he's a scared little guy, so pray for him, all right? As he gets settled into his new place, Rocky, there he is, all right? I, just, I had to share it. We were talking about cats and dogs. I just had to share about that. Uh, really excited about Rocky. But uh, talking about Buddhism and Hinduism, okay, he's not a Buddhist or a Hindu, okay, if you're wondering, okay. He's not a Christian either. Uh, that's a whole another topic for another day. But uh, I think it's important that we're, we're studying religions, world religions. I think it's so vital. And we've studied a few different religions the last few weeks. Uh, but I think it's so important for us because ma- mainly this, if you do not know, Truth. If you do not stand on truth, then you will fall for anything. Hear that? Okay. If you're not taking notes, you need to take notes. I see some of you all taking notes. We're going to go through two religions tonight, and there's a lot of information. You don't write it down. It'll get all jumbled in your mind. You'll get things confused, all right? So write write this stuff down. But if you do not stand for truth, you will fall for anything. And I I want to read a passage real quick. It's Ephesians uh, 4. 14 says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. It talks about our progress in in the the Christian faith. So that we may uh, not be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. This is vital as far as, man, if we don't know what we believe in, we're confronted in this day and age with so many different things. And talking about Buddhism and Hinduism, really, that's so different from our whole Western culture, at least it was at one point. Because Eastern culture and religion is so different from Western culture and religion. I mean, so, some of the same foundational things just don't apply. They don't apply at all. In fact, uh, in our day and age in society now where our culture is headed, though, it's so tolerant and plural pluralistic, where we just accept anything because we're afraid to say, oh, some, someone is wrong. And actually, we're starting to head in the direction of kind of Eastern culture in a, in a sense in a way, if you follow me. So because Eastern culture and religion, which is highly tied together, they're all about the religious, the mystic, the, whatever feels good goes, and, and they're very devout in that way. And Western religion and culture are based upon usually the facts. They go back to the basis and the facts, and yes, they want truth in the Eastern religion, in these different religions, but that's not as big of a deal. It's not a deal breaker for them. And so, we're going to be talking about that this morning. This morning? (laughs) It's not Sunday. It's Wednesday night. talking about that tonight. All right? Uh, But a few facts just about these religions. Ninety percent of Buddhists and Hindus live in India, Nepal. Ninety percent. They're the third and fourth largest religions in the world. And, uh, anyways, Buddhism actually came out of Hinduism. I don't know if you knew that, but Hinduism came first. And so we're going to talk about Hinduism first. But I didn't know a lot about Hinduism until really a couple years ago. And Meredith and I moved into this apartment complex, and we're trying to do ministry there, and you know, witness to people, and just love on neighbors. And, and so we're doing this program uh, called Cares, and we put on different events and stuff. And so our first event, we didn't really—I think we knew that a lot of Hindus were there, but 70% of the people in our complex were actually Hindu. And so, we'd usually have events with food, and our first event, we had uh, all this pizza. Like, who doesn't like pizza? So, we ordered, like, dozens and (laughs) dozens of boxes of pizza, because we didn't know how many people were going to show up. Hundreds of people showed up. I say hundreds. It was like 250 people to 300 people showed up. And we're, like, floored. Like, this is awesome. And so, we're giving away pizza, giving away pizza, and before you know it, uh, Like, all the cheese pizza is gone, (laughs) and people keep asking for cheese pizza, and we only got like 10 boxes of cheese pizza, and we got 50 boxes of pepperoni pizza because everyone loves pepperoni pizza. But then they're like, where's the cheese pizza? They're like, oh, well, you know, we're out of cheese pizza, but you know, there's pepperoni pizza and if you don't like pepperonis, you just take the pepperonis off. Well, all these people started giving these awful looks to us like, Are you kidding me? Like, so offended. They just walk out the door and leave. I'm like, oh man. Like what do we just do? And if you don't know anything about Hinduism, they don't eat meat. They're vegetarians. One of the reasons they don't eat meat is because they believe that uh, like animals, okay, are actually like their ancestors reincarnated. So it's like giving them a piece of pizza with their ancestor chopped up on it and they just got super mad. But. Like, we didn't realize, you know, next time we to pizza, it was like an all cheese pizza. But it was funny because some people would come up and be like, you know, whisper, make sure no one was looking and say, hey, like, I want pepperoni pizza, like, don't tell my friends, like, I think it's delicious, I love America, and I was like, yes. But it was funny because one of the events that we did shortly after, we're, we're, we made so many mistakes, you know, with figuring out the Hindu culture, but, so we had these meatballs, and. Um, we decided, yeah, like everyone loves meatballs, and so we got the meatballs. Don't worry, we got meatballs that were, uh, there we go, that that was the party, okay? They're the meatballs, if you see the meatballs. But they're like meatball meatballs made out of chicken or beef. And then we had vegetarian meatballs. So so we have an extra option, and it's going to be great. Vegetarian ones. Like Awesome, like don't worry. I don't even know how you make meatballs without meat. Like (laughs) bean dip, bowled together and cooked, I don't know. But we had them. And so we're like, yeah, these are, because the, they all asked, like, what is this? Because they know Americans like to eat meat. so we're telling them. And all of a sudden, uh, like, usually we eat last because that's just the polite thing to do. And so everyone went through the line, and, you know, almost all of the vegetarian bean meatballs are, like, gone. There's, like, five left. And so I'm like, you know, I'm digging into the chicken and beef ones. And I take a bite, and they were the bean ones! I was like, oh no, <laughs> everyone ate the, bean and, or the beef and the chicken, and people were coming up like, this is so good, are you sure this is beef, are you sure this is chicken? And we felt so bad, because we just made them eat their ancestors. <laughs> it's not funny, all right? They were so offended, we have all these people left, but there was this one uh, couple in particular, and uh, they were like, because there's different sects of Hinduism, there's different, like, parts that are really strict, other ones that like they'll eat eggs or chicken, but other ones they won't eat anything from an animal. And so these, this couple wouldn't eat anything from from an animal. And so they were super offended, and they were actually like our close neighbors. Here they are. That's Davidas and Ashwini, and uh, they became our good friends over the last couple years that we were there. And anyways, it was was awful, and so we went up to, to them and apologized and all this stuff, but it was interesting because Meredith at one point got involved with a conversation with her uh, that is really interesting we'll talk about here uh, in a little bit, but uh, man, like, there's a lot that we had to learn about this culture. So I, I want us just to go through some things real quick, alright, I'm going to go through several facts about Hinduism and then we'll, we'll address Buddhism and see how they're similar and different and then and see what our, our uh, really our reaction to them should, should be. So Hinduism actually has no origin and no founder, it goes back, it's, it's thought to be one of the oldest religions. Known to mankind, that's still going on today. So it's been going on for you know thousands of years, which is pretty, pretty remarkable. It's still a thing. Uh, it's the third largest religion, with about one billion people that claim to be Hindu. And uh, the Hin- Hindu uh, name, Hinduism, actually is, is a, it's a uh, Sanskrit. So that's a religion, but it's, it comes from the Sanskrit religion or religion. Sorry. Uh, Language comes from the Sanskrit language that basically means to run or flow like a river, which I think is really ironic because really, this whole religion is about all striving what you can do and also just going with the flow. It's, it's huge into tolerance, it's huge into whatever you feel good, I'm just going to go with it. And, like, yes, every, everything is so vague. Like, they don't really have much concrete doctrine, there's not a whole lot to hold on to. It's just there's a lot of vagueness. And, and intentionally, they, they have made it that way, and so uh, one of the main things about the the religion is it tends to be a polytheistic and a pantheistic religion at the same time, which basically polytheistic meaning uh, many okay, they worship many gods, and then pantheistic meaning that they like they believe everything is a god, they believe the whole universe is a god, every living thing, and so like everyone is. Like God, and the you know the birds are God, and everything that is living is basically God. They believe pantheism. Everything, all, is God. Pretty crazy. Uh, and so, in the polytheistic uh, view, so they have 330 million gods. Can you imagine keeping track of 330 million gods? That's crazy. Okay. But really when you get down to the basic like well why do you you know why do you worship these different gods they really actually believe that there's one main god his name's Brahman and really he's an impersonal god and so all these different 330 million gods are represent different personalities of Brahman Okay, so they, they represent all these different things, all these different elements, and so they worship the elements of the earth, of nature, remember the pantheism, but then they worship all these different things of the characteristics, characteristics of what they think Brahman is like. And it's really interesting, some of the similarities, because they also have a trinity. Uh, so Brahman is, is broken down into uh, three people, three gods that they worship. Brahma, uh, Vishnu, and uh, Shiva, okay, which basically is the creator god, the sustainer. And then Shiva is the destroyer. Okay, I don't know if I want to worship that God or not, but maybe not, okay, because I might get destroyed. So uh, it's really interesting because one of the main things that they don't believe in is evil. They don't believe, they believe evil is actually an illusion. So they believe that there's no sin, like you cannot sin. You cannot sin. And really, you're like, well, how, how do you not see that there's evil in the world? I'll talk about it in a minute. That's actually one of the ways that Buddha, uh, Buddhism came about. But they, uh, they believe this because they believe it's in cause and effect. You ever hear of karma? Right? They believe in karma. All right? We hear that term a lot here. But basically that means whatever you do has a consequence. Good or bad, and so what you, you know, their goal is to have good karma, obviously, you have good karma by doing good things, and if you do good works and good things, then you'll have good karma that will influence your life in the next life. They have this thing called reincarnation, which don't get it confused with resurrection because it's complete, completely different. Reincarnation, basically they they believe that the good karma that they do, if they have good karma, they do these good things, then when they die, they will be reborn into a different living thing. And they have 4,800,000 options of different living things that they might become after they die. Can you imagine? And so if they have really good karma, then they'll be a human again. If they have bad karma, then they might be a cow, or they might be a plant. And, and so they, they're like, man, I have to have good karma so that I can, you know, when I die, recycle and become a human again, or maybe a, a better tier human, maybe have a better life. Maybe have a better life. And so I have to keep moving. I have a lot to cover. But really, in order to um, reach that, like, well, that just cycles for billions of years, right? You just re- rebirth and rebirth and rebirth. Well, their ultimate goal is to reach moksha. Which means freedom from the cycle of reincarnation, where they become one with Brahman and they become one with nature. And really they're searching for freedom. They're searching for freedom from this life that deals with destruction and pain. And so, their ultimate goal is to reach moksha. And in order to reach moksha, all right, they they have four goals to do that, four main key things that they do that. The first one is dharma, which basically means… That you are righteous, that you're a good person, that you follow the duties of your culture, of your religion, that you are perfect, that everything you do, all right, is righteous. You become a righteous person. That's the first way. The second way is uh, kind of, is really interesting, okay, called Kama. And that means that you master passion, basically. You master uh, sexual desire, take it really is one extreme or the other, either abstaining or and delving into okay, that's one of their goals into to reaching moksha. Uh, then they have something called artha, which is really their goal to be wealthy, their goal to have money, and so to be successful materially. And that that's if they do that, okay. Then man, the, the third checklist. And then lastly is to re- to reach moksha, and it's funny because in order to reach moksha, really to have freedom, and in the cycle. You have to not even care, because if you do the first three things, then you're going to be such a free person already that you're not even going to care and want it. And then, when you don't even want it, then you're going to receive it, and then you'll like, be done with a cycle, you have freedom. Like, that's kind of like eternal bliss in their mindset. And so, they're really searching for peace and freedom, but it's interesting because Hindus, when you talk about, when you ask them about their gods, and uh, you know, we ask our friends about their gods because they have all their gods laid up, you know, laid out, and you're, you're asking about them, and uh, well, what's the deal with these different gods? And really their goal for the gods isn't so much to worship them as into, I'm going to r- worship and respect this god to get something in return, but really they're not worshiping their god for salvation. Salvation for them isn't received from their God, are 330 million gods. Salvation is received by their own effort, by what they do. Salvation is given to them by themselves. And, and, and that's a really interesting thing because they save themselves. So, what they do is more important than to who they do it for because ultimately they're just doing it for themselves. That's really important. I want us to turn real quick to Ephesians. Back to Ephesians, hopefully you're still there. but man, this goes back to, I, I think uh, we talk, we've talked about this the last couple of weeks, but Ephesians 2, eight, nine it says, "For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast." OK so it's not. Right here, it tells us that it's not our doing that we receive salvation, all right? We, we've gone over to that in a minute. I got to keep moving. But also, they believe that all, there's all these different ways that you can receive freedom and eternity and all that. But if we look at the words of Christ, in John chapter 14, he makes it very clear on how to receive that salvation, and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one receives salvation except through Christ because He is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. In Hinduism, they don't know how to accept that because they just want to be tolerant of all these different things. They actually believe that everyone is ultimately a Hindu because they're ultimately going to end up recycling through life. Whether you admit it or not, they say, Man, you're a Hindu. Like, no, I'm a Christian, I follow Christ. Like, No, you're a you're Hindu. Okay? So. It's really interesting because one of the, the picture that you saw of our friends, we actually went and they were uh, celebrating one of their festivals called Diwali. And it's a huge festival. It's kind of like Christmas for them. It's really cool and they have these big lights everywhere and it's this huge celebration and they're dressed up and they're, you know, in their, their, um, their different clothing. And anyway, so they have lights everywhere and they worship the light god. And because they understand, one thing with these religions, they understand the foundational elements of things that we need as humans in our humanism. They see our need for things. And they see our need for light. And they see our need for light, and it's pretty neat. We have different lights and stuff up here on stage. I think that's pretty cool. But John 8:12, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the one that gives light. He's the one that gives life. Let's talk about Buddhism real quick, all right? Take some notes. Uh, Buddhism came out of Hinduism around the 6th century BC. It came from, uh, really, because people were dissatisfied with the goals and the end goals of Hinduism. They weren't really satisfied with it. And it's, it's, Hinduism uh, is different from Buddhism in kind of a way, it's more of a philosophy of life than really a religion, because ultimately they're atheists. They don't believe in a god. They don't believe that there's a soul. They don't believe that there's a heaven or a hell. They don't believe any of that. So it's more of a philosophy of a way of living than anything else. Their founder uh, was a young prince uh, named Siddhartha Gwatma, all right? I always have a hard time pronouncing his name but it's Siddhartha Gautama there we go Gautama and he was this prince this young prince and he was sheltered uh, in his kind of in his palace and one of the things with hinduism remember they believe that there's no evil no evil evil is really just an illusion so he was definitely protected from the idea that there's a there was evil because he had everything that he could ever want in the palace but one day okay he was standing by the gates and the gates opened and he saw and he looked out and he saw suffering, and he saw evil. And this happened four times, and he calls it his, his four uh, visions. He saw someone that was sick, all right. He's like, man, like he, he was brought to the thing that meant illness is a thing. Then he, he uh, realized that there was poverty, that you age, and then that you die. And this just really like took him to a level, that he's like, I can't believe this, I can't believe that. Like, evil is really a thing. And so, he, start, he took Hinduism, like, Hinduism, I don't know so much about. There's evil. And so, he went on this pilgrimage type thing and became an ascetic where he became really religious and he, like, only ate one piece of rice a day and only one sip of water a day for a couple years. And then, after six years of searching for peace, because he saw this guy in the middle of his suffering that had peace, and he saw that and he said, I want that peace. And so, that's what he was searching for. He said, I want peace in my life in the middle of this suffering. So after six years of that, he's sitting under this palm tree for, not palm, It was a I think it was a date tree or fig tree. It was a fig tree. And he was sitting under there for seven days, and he finally came to the realization of, of, these, of these four things. He calls them the Four Noble Truths, all right? And, and at that point, he realized that he had reached the highest level of knowledge, which is nirvana. Hey, we hear that you know the band nirvana, all right, but really there's the highest level of knowledge. And at that point, he became Buddha, which really means that he's he's a boss, he's the enlightened one. And so he came up with these four uh, noble truths. The first one is called dukkha, which basically means that if you're gonna live, if you live, it means that you are gonna suffer. Basically, he he just said, Hey, like if you're living and you're in this world, life sucks. Because there's all this pain and all this suffering, and we have to go through that. And and so he realized that. That was the first truth that he realized because there's all this death, all this pain. Even he would call dukkha something, if you don't get what you want, that's dukkha, that's suffering, you're suffering. Life's tough. Second thing that he realized was that the cause of suffering is actually your own desire. Isn't that interesting? cause of suffering is your own desire. And so, the third thing he realized, if you want to get rid of suffering, you have to get rid of desire in your own heart, and your own life. And so, there's this, all of a sudden this goal to get rid of desire. The next thing really was uh, in order to stop desire, you have to follow this eight noble path, all right, this road of all, all the, do these different things. And in order to reach samyak, or perfection, and so, these are the eight different things but you have to have right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right awareness, right med- meditation, excuse me, right understanding, right thoughts, right, 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 right. All these different things that you have to do. All this, this huge checklist, the steps that you have to do in order to reach perfection, in order to rid yourself of desire so that you don't have to deal with pain and suffering in the world because life stinks. So in order to do that, you have to do these eight things, and then you will reach nirvana because then you have, finally, you have found peace, okay? Finally, you have found peace, and it's interesting because they're continually searching for peace, continually searching for freedom, and there's always the next step that they have to do to reach it, and they don't know what to gauge it by and if they've reached it already or if they haven't reached it or not. But true happiness, ultimately, for the Buddhist, is found in themselves. It's found in themselves. So you, you know, you're you like, okay, John, okay, so Hinduism, Buddhism, so what? They believe this, this different stuff, so how, how does that apply to me? How does that challenge me as a Christian? What in the world? We'll, we'll go back to Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It's by grace that we're saved through faith, it's not our own works, and I think a lot of times in our Christian faith, we can almost be like a Buddhist or Hindu where we're searching for our own satisfaction. And our own desire to find our own peace and our own happiness. It's interesting. Our friend uh, David Ashwin Ashwini Meredith was talking with Ashwini, and you know these Hindus were just so mesmerized by us as Americans, and they're you know pretty new to Americans, so they're just trying to figure out our culture and our religion. and They're asking all this stuff, and she goes up to her and she goes, "So, so you have love marriage, and?" Mary's just like, what? Like, what do you mean do you have do you have love marriage? And she goes, yeah, like, you know, love marriage. You guys, you know, got married and it was, Mary's so confused, like, what are you talking about, this whole love marriage thing? And so finally she realizes that they had an arranged marriage. <laughs> and Mary's like, whoa, is that even a thing anymore? I don't know if people still did that, but th- that's very prominent. All right, especially for the higher sex in Hinduism, and they were like from the high, the, one of the top ones. And so they had this arranged marriage, and they didn't really know each other until like a few days before the marriage. And uh, anyway, it was just so mind-blogging to them that we would choose each other and have this whole love marriage thing. And that just blew our minds, this difference in this culture and everything. And anyways, it was interesting because Meredith kept talking to her and talking about our marriage and it was mind-blown by this whole concept, and ended up talking about… Uh, more about love and what this looked like, and because their gods are impersonal gods, they're just there to, because they won't get something out of them. Really, remember, in order for salvation, they have to do it themselves. And so, Meredith, you know, they start talking about their gods and showing them our gods, and Meredith started talking about our God, Christ, Jesus Christ, and talking about. You know, God's love for us. And, and this was just a concept that they didn't understand, like, how is this God a personal God, like a God that you serve, that there's actually a relationship there, and it just it was really a new concept for it. and it, it was crazy. And you know, as I've been you know, studying this week and looking at Hinduism, Buddhism, I kept going back to this passage, and it's, it's Romans 5, and so we turn to Romans 5 real quick. I think it's such an important passage for us to know in our lives. Romans 5, 1, it says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we've been saved through faith, all right, which is through grace, it's not our work. Remember Ephesians 2, 8, 9, okay? Then we have peace. We have peace. What these religions are searching for, Buddhism and Hinduism, we have that in Jesus Christ. We have that in God. It says it right here. It's awesome. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. That's a whole other message, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Where Buddhism try to, to get away from the suffering, and life stinks. Man, I have to do everything, get rid of my desires so that I don't have to do a suffering. Here in Christianity, man, we have a solution to that. It's called Jesus Christ. It's called peace with God through Jesus Christ. And in our suffering, knowing that our suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. We have hope. These are amazing promises of God. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's Love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We have God's love. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. Verse 8, but God shows, God shows His love for us and that why we were still sinners Christ died for us Christ died for us and we have a god that loves us he's not an impersonal god that just leaves us there on our own he cares for us and when we weren't didn't have dukkha, when we did, weren't righteous when we didn't have everything figured out no when we were still sinners in rebellion in rebellion against god God chose to show His love towards us that He died for us. Because He wants that type of personal, intimate relationship with us. And so, He came to us instead of us having to work our way to God, we don't have to work our way to God like these different religions talk about. Like God actually ended up coming to us. And it's been, it's been really, it's really humbling these next last few days we've had this little dog named Rocky Because he's just like helpless and he's just sitting there, you know, he's on the step and he knows what he needs to do because we're telling him to come up and go to the bathroom, but he won't and he won't like, won't leave because he can't do it. He's a scared little weak puppy. And so, man, this morning I was trying to take the dog out and God just really got my attention because each time we actually have to like reach down and pick up the dog. And he just, like squirming, he doesn't want it. We actually like re- reach down, pick up the dog, and have to carry him out to go and take care of him. So him to the bathroom so he can go eat, so he can go to his kennel. And this morning as I was doing that, it just hit me. We serve a personal God that comes down and shows his love, and that he did the work for us on the cross by giving us his perfection so that we did not have to. Because ultimately we cannot, ultimately we cannot. We don't have the strength to do it. And this morning, man, God has shown that to me, and I was just amazed because every morning i get up and i said, say, God, it's not me, it's you, it's got to be all you, because I can't do that, do that today. But this morning for some reason in particular, it was just tough, it was a tough day. And so I just poured my heart to God, God, I, I don't know if I could do this, like, I just, I need you in this moment. I need you." And stuff was going on with our family and different things going on, and I said, God, I need you. I can't do this. And in that moment, God came and He, he comforted me, and I was God, I thank You that You're a personal God. Thank You that You love me. Thank You that You care for me, that You give me strength for each day, that I don't have to conjure it up myself and create something. We can be weak where we are, because when we are weak, that is when God is strong. We don't have to do these religious things to, to make ourselves make it throughout the day, to make ourselves make it for eternity. We have a God that loves us and wants to sustain us and give us strength for every day and build us up into His character. And it's amazing that we have that kind of personal God that after we reject Him, He wants that type of intimate relationship with us. So I just want to take a moment, if you bow your heads and close your eyes, just for a minute. Stay where you are for, for a little bit. I just want this to be a moment for you guys. You, you might not be here. You may not be a Hindu. You may not be a Buddha, Buddhist. You may be, I don't know. But maybe tonight you realize, man, maybe I am trying to earn and work my way to God. Maybe I am looking at ways that, man, if I do this, this, and this, maybe then God will accept me. Maybe then I can make it to God. Instead of just. Saying, God, I trust you. I give you my life. I want to follow you. God's a personal God. God wants to give you His strength. He wants to give you Himself. He doesn't want your own effort and your own striving to make it. It's amazing that God came down to pick us up because we can't pick ourselves up by ourselves. So I just want to give you a moment, if that's you, and maybe you realize, man, I don't even know if I have a relationship with Christ, I don't know if I've received this God that loves me and has showed his love to me and wants this personal relationship. If you're unsure, you probably don't have a relationship with God, and I want to give you an opportunity, opportunity to do that even tonight. So with head bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, like, I want a relationship with Jesus, I want his forgiveness, I want him to pick me up. I want his strength to make it day in, day out, I want his peace, I want his freedom that he gives. Pray the simple prayer to yourself, it's not a magical prayer. This is just you being honest with God. This is you deciding to give your life to Christ. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me for how I've rebelled against you. Thank you for loving me. Lord, I give you my life. I want to follow you all the days of my life. Change me from the inside out.